called Grace Ascension. It's on Sligo Avenue if you want to go check it out. It's got stained glass and everything. It's wonderful. All right, uh, let's dive into this. So um, for the sake of time, I can't ease into this today. I'm going to come in hot, all right? So here we go. Galatians chapter 5, page uh, 813, the fruit of the Spirit. And we continue this series today, deep diving into the section of Scripture, Galatians chapter 5. I'm just going to read um, verses 22 through 25 today. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which means patience, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. So as we read that, a couple of things to note. First, these are not like, uh, this isn't a list of like self, self-help qualities that you can attain by trying harder. That is not what the fruit of the Spirit is. Uh, if you're a Christian, you already have these as a growing presence within you. The second thing is, if you aren't experiencing those, as I read that list, you may not feel peace right now. You may not feel patience or self-control over something if you're not experiencing the fruit of the spirit i said i'm coming in hot it's not god's fault all right you have to acknowledge that and it's probably not someone else's fault now that's a big problem because there are circumstances where it could be someone else's fault that you're not experiencing joy or hope or love all right and that that circumstance would be when someone is intentionally and deliberately sinning against you all right, you're being oppressed, you're being abused. And it, we have to acknowledge that. I can't just kind of skirt over that really quickly because that is something that someone might be experiencing and I don't want to bypass that. So if this, there is someone that you feel like is targeting you, you know, is, is what, abusing you or bullying you or manipulating you consistent or continually and your lack of joy and your lack of hope or love, it's probably tied to that. And that's something that you need to respond to. There needs to be some freeing action, uh, which I know um, from the outside, I'm a white male American, so it's hard for me to say that I've experienced that. But it happens. Um, and it's something you have to um, engage and figure out a way for, for freedom to occur. And whether that's talking to a counselor or to a pastor here at Restore Church or even an attorney, we have to acknowledge that if you're not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, that could be your reason. Now, for those of us who aren't experiencing fruit of the Spirit, and we're also not experiencing abuse or deliberate sin, being deliberately sinned against, we have, let, let's move on from that and let's discuss some truth here. It's not God's fault that you're not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, and it's not someone else's fault. So we got to have to eliminate, eliminate that right off the bat. You're going to be tempted to make it God's fault or to make it someone else's fault. And this is what's called scapegoating, all right? It's what Jesus put to death on the cross. That, I, I think that's sometimes in an uh, in individualistic theology, we look at the cross as um, the, the main and sometimes the only theme we hear is Jesus died for my sins. He did. But another thing he did that was just as important, the, the cross is very textured and layered, is that he exposed the satanic practice of blame and scapegoating. That Jesus was blamed 
He was innocent, and he was blamed for something he didn't do, and that's why he was put to death on the cross. He was showing us the injustice of scapegoating. It's a satanic practice, and I can empathize with it. I, I, I can empathize with getting swept up in that practice because if I'm not experiencing fruit of the Spirit, my modus operandi is to blame God. That's who I go after. I, don't nec- I usually don't blame other people. It's God. I go right after the big dog. All right? I'm like, this is what I'm not happy about, and it's your fault. I have lots, I've had continual angry conversations with him in which he becomes my target. It's not healthy. It's not accurate. But we have a tendency to be tempted when things aren't, when we're not experiencing the fruit of the Spirit, to point the finger at someone else, whether it's God or a person. We've got to be self-aware here. If I don't feel love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, ask yourself, who have I been targeting to blame for that? Because Christ is offering us freedom from that. That's why he went to the cross. And Paul reminds us of this in verse 25 when I just read. He said, we have freedom from our passions and desires. And he reminds us again later in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. He wrote a, a letter to another church. He says, For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Our fight, our target, our blame is not with God or with other people. It is against spiritual evil. It's against something else. So it's important we start with that understanding because we have to be self-aware of the chains that we have wrapped ourselves in that might be binding us from unleashing the spirit within us, from experiencing fruit. Uh, And today I want to talk specifically about the fruit of the Spirit, patience. That's what we're going to deep dive into today. The word, which is ironic, because if I'm reading that list, I am the most impatient person that I I know. At least that's the way I feel. I'm not patient by nature. So it's kind of funny that, oh, I get to teach on patience. So I'm preaching to myself today. I feel like that every Sunday. But this one in particular is is, a, is a, an area where I'm like, oh, constantly learning how to be patient. The word, for, the word for patience is macrothemia in Greek, which best translates as embracing steadfastness and staying power. So Paul again wrote another letter to uh, the church. In, uh, uh, it's called Colossians. It's in chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. He says this about patience. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. So patience is an effect of being strengthened with God's power. It's clear that steadfastness and staying power are effects of God's power within us. And if, you, if we aren't experiencing these, again, it's because we've inhibited God somehow. All right, we've, we have chained the spirit and we have to figure out what we've done to kind of stomp down that fruit within us. So how do steadfastness, staying power, and patience actually take root in my life? How does that actually happen? So let's take, let's, let's dive into this because, it, man, we need, we need patience to be unleashed individually and communally. Um, the first thing, the, the, the first uh, action that will allow the, the, the chains to begin to come off of patience and, and steadfastness in your life is that God will attempt to, invite you to, <clears throat> challenge you to step out of your comfort zone. He's going to lead you in a direction 
that you did not plan for, expect, or even want. And it's going to make you spiritually, emotionally, maybe even physically uncomfortable. Allow that. Welcome it. Respond to it. Because following God means following him into situations in which miraculous amounts of patience, steadfastness, and staying power are required. I mean, it's going to be things like, I have no idea how I'm going to do this because I'm not capable. I'm not good enough. I don't know how. All these doubts will creep into your mind when God is calling you into something. That's just the way it works with him. That's the cruciform existence. He's inviting us and challenging us to walk a journey that requires growth, refinement, and restoration. And the good news is it's a path that he's traveled. He knows what it's like to be human. And he knows what it's like to pay a price. A price bigger and costlier than any of us could actually imagine. So it's, we have a king who can empathize with us and knows what it's like to walk the journey. And he is someone that we can trust on what it means to leave a comfort zone behind because we sense God's leading you. And that is uh, leading, him leading us in a new direction is the way for the fruit of the spirit to be unleashed within us. So that's, that's the root. That's when the chains start to come off of how to be patient or how to discover the patience that we have already within us. So following God's leading and, and stepping into uncomfortable areas and callings, that's how steadfastness takes root. How does it grow? Like how does it start to snowball and move and grow within our hearts and our minds? So a couple of things. Um, I like it. This is my little music intro to this first point <laughs> on how how steadfastness can, begins to grow. The first thing is that holy authority reveals it. All right, the, um, you want patience to grow within you. Authority is going to speak into that. So this can come from God Himself, like it did with Jesus. So in like in Luke chapter twenty-two, verses forty-one through forty-three. Jesus, this is the night he's arrested. He knows he's going to die. He's in agony about it. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond his disciples. He knelt down and he prayed, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. He did not, he, he wanted this calling to be removed. But he said, and yet not my will, but yours be done. And an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. God answers prayers. God will do that directly with you. It can happen. I've experienced it. His authority has revealed, it, it's done it, he did it to me recently. It, it, it doesn't always happen where I get such a black and white clear answer, but I prayed something like three weeks ago, and I'm like, man, I really need you to show me something here. I, I, need, I need to understand if this is what I need to do. And he revealed it to me just a couple of days later. He answered the prayer very clearly, and I'm like, oh, man, I like it. Well, most of the time I like it when he does that. Sometimes I don't like the answer. <clears throat> but he'll, he, holy authority can come directly from God. He answers prayers. The second thing, holy authority can also come from other people, particularly people who are older, wiser, or have walked the journey longer than you when it comes to following Jesus. If you're surrounding yourself with people who are only your age, only have your common interests, only have your similar circumstances, you might be, I'm not saying definitely, but I'm saying you might be inhibiting the Spirit's fruit from being released in you. I love being around people who are vastly different from me, all right? Whether, it, it, you know, different life circumstances, different experiences, I, I think it is where iron sharpens iron. You're going to get just a better, bigger, holier perspective 
when you have other people directly, I mean authority, authoritatively speaking into your life, saying things to you that are uncomfortable and you welcoming those. And we need to delve into holy authority for a minute because I use the word authority intentionally because I sense a cultural rejection of this right now. All right, the the postmodern instinct of rejecting power in an overarching meta-narrative, it's at an all-time high. All right, the, many of us are very skeptical and resistant to authority, and for sometimes good reasons. All right, we, we could point out some good reasons to be skeptical of some authorities in our culture, in our life right now. But other times, we're just chained up by our obsession with forming our own truth out of hyper-individualism. We just want to do things our way, and we don't want to be told what to do. Uh, and as someone who routinely chafes against authority, I, ge- I generally don't like authority, the uh, power or the status quo. Uh, if everybody's doing something, I usually don't want anything to do with it. I resist that. I can empathize with the postmodern instincts, but I also acknowledge that they can chain up the Holy Spirit living within me sometimes. So when we get swept into the postmodern stream of rejecting authority and embracing individualistic truth, uh, we are essentially living out a Christian version of humanism. That's what it is. So I want to define humanism real quick because it's different than atheism. Uh, It's what I would contend that it's a very fast-growing philosophy in our culture. And I like the way uh, this, uh, there's an ethicist named Dennis Hollinger. I like the way he describes humanism very succinctly. He says, humanism is a world, a world in which the human being is central, the source of all meaning, truth, and goodness. It's distinguished from atheism because it acknowledges inherent meaning to life. It's a progressive philosophy of life that affirms our ability and responsibility to lead ethical lives of personal fulfillment that aspire to the greater good of humanity. It's guided by reason, inspired by compassion, and informed by experience. On the surface, that's like that sounds actually pretty good. That doesn't sound so bad. But there's a mortal flaw at the center of humanism. The mortal flaw is humanity is at the center. That's not where that's not the space we're supposed to occupy. We are not supposed to be the center of our own existence. It's inherently selfish and self-centered. Autonomy and self-actualization are actually contrary to the Trinitarian relational core of Christianity, of holy authority, of mutual submission. That, it's just much different than our faith. And Hollinger later points out that humanism has no way to actually protect against self-centered existence in which ultimately we seek our own good rather than the good of the other. It is, uh, it, it's not logical. It, it really, it's just bad logic to live that way. And we cannot be the ult- ultimate authority in our lives. So I think those of us who are Christians in the room can acknowledge the truth that Jesus is king and that he has authority. But I think our actions look more like humanism sometimes than Christianity. I think it's so easy for us to start drinking that Kool-Aid and, and to kind of get swept into that stream. There are authorities, this is hard for me to say, there are authorities that can be trusted. <laughs> Because I question it all the time. I'm like, I know we can't, but there are. Submission isn't a bad thing. It can be a beautiful thing to submit to authority. And over the last, over the course of the last 10 to 15 years, I've tested authority again and again. I've tested power and I will continue to do so. But what I've come to understand is that the test can actually be passed. I've submitted myself to Christ and his authority over and over and over again 
and my trust in him has increased exponentially. There are people in my life who I submit to routinely. I've pushed back on them. I've tested their authority. I've searched their minds for, and hearts for holiness, and they've passed. So exa- like an exa- perfect example of that would be my wife, who I submit to routinely. Yes, men, it's mutual <laughs> submission. That's the way marriage works. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've made plans, plans that I thought, I'm an idea machine. My head is constantly spinning with ideas, and, and most of them involve inherent risk and bold action. And I think they're good ideas. I think there's a lot of times I think we must do this or I must do this. And then I submit those plans to Carrie or to some other close friends that I trust who are, or people who are older, wiser, and have walked the journey longer than me. And they're like, sometimes they gently but firmly say, I think you should reconsider that. Other times they just say, that's terrible. That is just a flat out terrible idea. In fact, if you do that, I'm going to have a major problem with it. And so it, submission is not necessarily a fun thing to do that it's not not it's not in my nature to actually submit to authority but god has uh every time that i do that the chains of impatience kind of start to fall off and i become a more patient and steadfast individual i can feel the fruit of the spirit growing in me as i submit to holy authority around me um so for all you postmodern, cynical jaded rebellious humanists I empathize, but don't let those instincts chain up your patience and your steadfastness. Rather, use those to question authority, but realize authority can be a good thing. Submission can be a beautiful thing. And it feels, when I say that and when I practice it, it feels so boring and ordinary to just submit. You know, but it's part of the journey. It, um, but because beneath the surface of submission lies an extraordinary reality of living. Like surface level following Jesus, it, it, it seems so ordinary, especially if you've been, let's say, if you've been following Jesus within the Restore community since we started. Some of you guys in here have been back in the day when things were like brewing and starting and exciting and we were, you know, putting something, you were part of something new. Maybe you just moved here and you're excited about a new place to live, your new career path. And it's been five years and you're like, the thrill has worn off. All right, the the DMV, the career, the church, like we're no longer in that like exciting, adventurous startup thing. Now it's like, it'd be very easy to look at this and like, this seems so ordinary. But beneath the surface of ordinary, ordinary is where beauty lies. It's the complete opposite of like the Wizard of Oz mentality. All right, the, the cultural Wizard of Oz thing is like everything on the surface looks so bright and shiny and exciting but you pull back the curtain and it's a fraud. All right, it's like every time the iPhone comes out with an update, you're like, ooh, and then you download it and your phone doesn't work. All right, it's just like, wow, that's a fraud. It works like that a lot. Like the iPhone 8, I guess the battery's bulging on it. I'm glad I didn't get one. Um, but Christianity, is that, that's part of the countercultural nature of Christianity. Is on the surface, it seems so ordinary. But beneath the surface is where the beauty lies. And we get to submit to that and move into that. And that's when patience and steadfastness begin to take root and to grow and to be unleashed in us and in other people it is an active so i'm going to speak to the rebellious nature in here of questioning authority when we live like that it is an active resistance to the cultural and humanistic winds and those winds are blowing strong right now it's crazy so let me assume some conclusions before we close up here first 
Um, if I'm not experiencing the fruit of patience and steadfastness, it's my fault for inhibiting the spirit within me. The second, I'm going to allow God to lead me out of my plans and out of my comfort zone, no matter how risky it seems. And number three, when he does this, and I, and I actually go and take the step, I'm going to submit to holy authority, both in God through prayer and through the voices of others who have traveled this journey longer than me. So I'm going to assume that we're, we're probably not all there, but I'm going to assume that we've all like, okay, I'm in. All right, if you're like me, you might be thinking, I still don't like it. I don't want to do that. doesn't sound fun. You ever received a gift for Christmas that you didn't want? Like socks or tools? People give me tools. I'm like, you're like giving me work. This is what you're doing. You're assuming that I want to use these and work with them. I don't want tools. I want something that's irresponsible, that's just simply fun. We get gifts that we don't want, and that's the fruit of the Spirit. It can be the fruit of the Spirit. Like, I don't want patience. I want what I want now. I want my plans. I want them now. I want this timeline. I want this career. I want this family path, whatever it may be. I mean, I want patience. So now the question is, how do I actually embrace this as something that I want? How do I actually crave the fruit of the Spirit within me, particularly patience and steadfastness? So like we read in Luke 22 earlier, Jesus felt the authority of God still leading him towards the cross. He asked for God to take the cup away. God didn't. Instead, God strengthened him and continued his journey towards the cross. So how do we embrace such a calling? How do we actually embrace that? What does submission look like? So there's two tips I'm going to give you to close up today. Um, and on the surface, uh, well, I'll say they're not holistic. This is not like a cure-all for embracing <clears throat> the fruit of the Spirit, but it's two things I've experienced that have been very, uh, have helped me embrace patience as something that I want. On the surface... This advice doesn't seem like it will relate to patience, but it, it's there. There are two critical keys to embracing the fruit of patience. And the first one is you've got to be uncomfortably vulnerable to others. This is the practice of submission. Right, this is the discipline. Submit your thoughts, your emotions, your decisions, your doubts, your insecurities, your life to the view of others. And don't manipulate it to make it look like something it's really not. I can do that with the best of them. I know how to speak in order to gain affirmation. I've learned, we, the older we get, the better we get at manipulation. That's what's so fascinating about kids is like five-year-olds have very little ability to manipulate. They just, it's just like, boom, there. But it's something we gain as adults. We learn how to manipulate. But be uncomfortably vulnerable to other people. That is the cruciform existence there is no, no more vulnerable moment in human history than Jesus hanging on the cross. And that is what we're called to be in our emotions and our decisions and in our spirits. That kind of vulnerability, in, in, in his case, it was public. And in his case now, it's historic. We all see Jesus on the cross continually. <clears throat> and I gotta, be, I, gotta be, I gotta keep it real. I don't see that very much in our church. I don't see people being vulnerable. And it's subjective. I don't know everybody. I'm not f close friends with everybody. But my gut tells me we have a vulnerability issue because our culture has a vulnerability issue. And if we're surrounded by people who have vulnerability issues and won't talk about it and won't submit it, it's very easy for us to just adapt to that and to form those habits rather than to form 
cross-like habits of vulnerability. So that's something you, we, we have to do. It, it is really one of the big keys to unlocking and unchaining patience and steadfastness in our lives. So let me give you a quick example. I was hanging out with some pastors a few years ago, and we were having a good time. Um, but on the surface level, it was water cooler talk. It was just us sitting around sharing, like, war stories, you know, like, like oh, this happened or that happened or this, you know, and that kind of a thing. You know what I'm talking about. You, this happens at your workplace probably. You sit around with people who kind of do the same thing you do or have common interests and you start sharing stories and maybe even that one-upping thing starts to happen and you just start feeding off of each other because, one, there's no uncomfortable silence. It kind of just keeps things comfortable and keeps the conversation going. And then also it kind of you find camaraderie and identity in that. And my identity is not as a pastor. My identity is the fact that I'm a son of God or you're a daughter of God. That's our identity. And so I was, you know, we're doing, the thing, doing this thing and hanging out all day and all night. Um, and there, there was a uh, lack of vulnerability that was occurring. So hanging out with these guys late into the night, I got real vulnerable. And I released some deeply personal information. <clears throat> um, I submitted it to five or six other men that I deeply respect, that I really want, I want their approval. I, I want them to like me. I want them to affirm me. I want them to believe in me. Um, it, it was hard to say it, but I felt like I, I, I needed to release it. I needed their advice and their thoughts and their prayers. Uh, I talked about how I thought I was depressed, how I was thinking about quitting like every day of the week. I'd lay in bed for hours on end just kind of mentally and crippled and overwhelmed with, with, with a lot of things and it was extremely vulnerable um man it was it was terrifying to be that vulnerable to to people that were my friends and that i wanted respect from but what it did was it sparked an intense dialogue of confession stuff just started pouring out about uh, everybody started getting vulnerable <clears throat> the conversation went from water cooler talk to holy authority working itself out amongst us and these barriers and walls just started to come down and being vulnerable to others routinely has helped me embrace <clears throat> steadfastness and staying power it's 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 a death on the cross so vulnerability like when you actually be vulnerable to others uh vulnerability is the cross and steadfastness and patience is the empty grave like when you do that you experience life that is what the cross gives us. And when we imitate that by being vulnerable like Jesus was, it's like going from death to life. So that's the first tip I would give you. Um, the second one, uh, the second practice that will help you embrace patience and actually enjoy it is confessing sin to God and to others. Like releasing, and it, that's even deeper than vulnerability. You know, just the fact like, this is where I'm broken. Sin has become such a dirty word. Um, and because it's, it's been co-opted to do damage. It's been co-opted to be a weapon, which is unfortunate. But it's not. It, it's something that we, we deal with. Either we've inherited it as, as ju just part of our, kind of our ha habitual nature, or it's stuff that we really just need to deal with that we're making really bad decisions. <clears throat> but confessing sin to God and others. Um, if you aren't confessing sin on a regular basis, you are chaining up the spirit inside of you. If you aren't acknowledging sin or confessing it, you're not a Christian. You're a humanist. You're not at the center of your existence. You want to be in control? 
not give, uh, if you don't, don't want to give it to others and to God, just know that control breeds impatience. Right? Control breeds instincts of giving up, of abandoning, of leaving, because we are not perfect enough to sit on the throne of authority. God is. That's where he needs to be, and we need to submit to that. And that includes revealing to the king our weaknesses, our sins, uh, doing that with other people, submitting our, our sinful decisions or our sinful nature to the authority and to the care of brothers and sisters who have walked the journey before us. It is um, incredibly freeing to do that, to experience, to, to experience those two things of vulnerability and confession. So each week of this series, we're going to challenge you to share the fruit of the Spirit with one another. All right, we, we, the first week, we talked about sharing love. Last week, we talked about sharing joy and peace. This week, it's sharing patience. So it's like that's a little bit more ethereal. Like how do you share patience with other people? Um, I would encourage you uh, just a few things. I've already said them, but to repeat. Number one, find a moment this week to be vulnerable. Be vulnerable to God and be vulnerable to someone else do that. The second thing is <clears throat> confess some sin if you need to, to God and to someone else. Release it. And then the third thing, if you're like, check, got it. I'm already doing that, Aaron. I'm a mess. I've, I've been like confessing and I'm vulnerable and all my crap is out there. Um, the third thing I would say is find some time to enjoy the ordinariness of our faith, of the, just the ordinary moments of the day. The train right into work, the walk, uh, October weather, leaves blowing across the ground. I was sitting in my backyard last week. Love my backyard. It's a backyard. It's nothing special, but it's beautiful. And I was just enjoying God's creation. Like, thank you for this backyard. Very ordinary because I get to see my kids play back there. And I get to hear them. They're building a fort back there, doing all these crazy boy things. There's a password. I'm not allowed in. It's fantastic. <laughs> And it's like, th it's just enjoying the ordinary of thinking of being present in those simple moments. Find a way to be present in a moment like that this week. Because that, that's patience. Staying in a moment, like being fully present in a moment. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what we have within us. We have that ability to just be still and present and not hurried. And have this staying power just flowing in us and out of us. This will... I, I promise you, if you do those three things, you will be amazed at the calmness in your spirit, um, the ease that will begin to take shape in your mind, and the fruit of patience will begin to take root and to grow within you. Let's pray.